Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Quirinus, and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Kadami, has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 34th meeting of Spew to order. Queerness. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. It's our first recording of the new year. It is. I don't like holidays. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone in that. I just taught my first art class in three weeks and I felt so out of practice. Mm-hmm. But like, it's not that I haven't painted or anything. I just haven't taught a class. Yeah, something about holidays, they just, you know, they throw everything off the routine. Like, my sleeping gets off, my eating gets all off. Abby's, oh man, Abby always gets thrown off schedule. (laughs) We are not big fans of the holidays. I'm just glad we survived this year, honestly. (laughs) Guess we move on to birthdays. We have a bunch of birthdays. We have a bunch of birthdays. Uh, January 6th is Queenie Goldstein. January 9th is Snapes. January 30th is Lily Evans. January 26th is Gilderoy Lockhart. In the real world, I'm just gonna read the list. Vern Troyer, Pam Ferris, Eddie Redmayne, Freddie Stroma, Imelda Staunton, John Hurt, Richard Bremer, Lee Ingleby, Tony Maudsley, I don't know who a couple of those are, and a couple of them are dead. Well. <laughs> Happy birthday, everyone. <laughs> so what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think we're a little rusty. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're starting Half-Blood Prince, and so we're reading chapters 1 through 10 and looking for metaphors of autism. Very first chapter, The Other Minister, which... This is probably, the book as a whole, I thought was kind of unnecessary and boring. It feels like an unnecessary bridge that should have been filled out, like, throughout the entire rest of the series. But these first two chapters are my favorite chapters in the entire series. Huh. In the entire series or in the book? No, these are my favorite two chapters, because they don't have Harry in them. (laughs) Not much. You have the the two ministers, and you have Bellatrix killing the poor fox. Sneaky Snape and his sneaky hidey holes. But the first thing I put down is that Fudge is condescending. I feel like most wizards are condescending to muggles in general. Yeah, Fudge just keeps getting worse every time we see him, though. He's just kind of a terrible person. Yeah, I would agree. But Scrimger is even more condescending, sort of. I don't like Scrimger either. No, he's terrible. But the muggle minister, he's kind of condescending too. Yes. There's just a bunch of sass going on in the room. Yeah. I I um I am confused as to why the portrait of the guy who tells him that the minister is coming, why does he p- pretend to sit still the entire time rather than just leaving an empty portrait frame? Hmm. Somebody's got to keep an eye on the minister, I guess. Eh, what you got? Um, 
<laughs> One of my favorite parts in this whole chapter is when Fudge is explaining to the Muggle minister that he was sacked. And he says, I've never known them to be so united on any subject in my entire time in office. He's <laughs> <laughs> trying to see the silver lining. Next chapter, Spinner's End. And this is where we're introduced to everyone's favorite character who dies two lines later. Poor Fox. Poor Fox. R.I.P. Fun fact, first time I read this part, I cried. I was on like a total, I was on like a total high from just getting the book at, you know, one of the midnight (laughs) release parties and, you know, waited till I got home. It's like one o'clock in the morning. My emotions were, you know, just running high and I read that and bawled. Anytime it is described as just a green flash and then... And that's the only way it's described. I always keep reading, like, expecting it to turn out to not be that. But then it always is. And it's kind of lazy. A little bit. Snape has lots of hidden doors and one of them is a bookshelf. And this made me very happy. It's very Snape-like. Like, I wasn't (laughs) surprised when I read that. Of course he has secret walls and hidey holes. Of course he does. And one of my, my favorite Snape quote is... When Bellatrix is basically bragging about how she is a much better follower because she spent all that time in Azkaban. And Snape's just like, warned a lot of use to him in prison, but the gesture was undoubtedly fine. Yeah. (laughs) The British shade is just perfection. I also noticed how, like, Narcissa, she, like, knows in her heart that Draco isn't going to succeed in this task. That at this point, we don't know what it is. But she she just knows. And she just has, like, no faith in her son whatsoever. She's just like, no, he's gonna screw up and we're gonna die. I really like another, I think this was another Snape quote, where basically it's describing how Harry always succeed. And it's a combination of sheer luck and more talented friends. True. It, it's it's true. It's very true. Also, just a kind of a side note about this chapter in general. Snape is a really good liar. Yeah. You honestly have no idea what side he's on, and neither do they. <laughs> I mean, he even took the unbreakable vow, and he didn't, you know, necessarily lie in any of that. Nope. I mean, he played his part superbly. Then we finally get to the first Harry chapter. And the Ministry sends out a list of rules that are far more complicated and pointless than wearing a mask. Do you think people would have followed them? I don't think anyone followed them, (laughs) except for Arthur. There's a, um, this one's, I like the way that this is worded. The vein pulsing in his uncle's temple was reaching danger point, but something about Dumbledore seemed to have robbed him temporarily of breath. (laughs) This book definitely has some really nice poetry to the way it's written that the earlier books do not have. Hmm. I'd say maybe starting with the fourth book and then the fifth and sixth book, it's really prevalent. Well, I think from the fourth book on, that's when it starts to take a much heavier theme, much darker theme. I think he also gets a little bit better at writing at that point, too. Well, and also, if we're looking at it through Harry's point of view, he's also getting older and is able to articulate better. True. And I'm so upset that none of this ended up in the movies. No, yeah. Yeah, I 
I don't know why they made the decision to start that movie the way they did. Yeah, with Harry flirting with the little coffee waitress girl in the train station. Like, it was so unnecessary. The Equus poster in the background irritates me. And then when Dumbledore says, do as you're told. Like, what? No. This would have been... (laughs) This... uh, I would have loved to have seen Dumbledore interact with the Dursleys. Yeah. Because then you have this great Dumbledore quote. Accidental rudeness occurs alarmingly often. And then tells him best to say nothing at all. <laughs> Telling you the British shade. <laughs> all right, moving, moving right along, moving right along. Did you <laughs> see that, that new video that they published? Uh, I don't think so. It's it's Kermit and um, Fozzie singing the song through webcam and like Fozzie's like doing stuff and it's like, like he's throwing stuff and it's like bouncing into Kermit's screen. It's great. I will have to look that up. (laughs) Anywho, next chapter begins with this great quote. He had permission to keep asking questions. It was, um, something, but he he knew that he had permission to keep asking questions. It was just a nice little Dumbledore said, I'm not going to answer that question. But he knew he could keep asking questions. I liked the understanding of the nonverbal that was written. Mm. Are the words coming out of my mouth making sense? Then we meet Slughorn, and I wrote that he reminds me of Mr. Toad from Wind in the Willows. I can see that. What I want to know is how Dumbledore knew that he was the armchair. They never really addressed that. Not really, no. But I always found it kind of obvious that it had to have been, like, faked because of the blood. Death Eaters don't leave no blood. Right. That always seemed confusing and suspicious to me. Now... This, this, uh, here's a nice um, Slughorn quote when he was talking about how he was moving to the different houses and finding different vacation homes. He says, make sure the neighbors don't see you bringing in the piano. (laughs) One of the necessary precautions you have to take. (laughs) But then, then this isn't, this is immediately countered with statements like this from Slughorn. Your mother was muggle-born, of course. Couldn't believe it when I found out. Thought she must have been pure blood. She was so good. Yeah. And he makes these little comments throughout the entire book. And you can just... I find it hard to fully be a Slughorn fan. Yeah, he's, he's confusing. I think he's another one of those gray characters. Like, he's not good, but he's not bad. He's chaotic neutral. Yeah, he's very much, I'm not racist, I have muggle-born friends. Right, right. <laughs> I, I I keep writing down these quotes out of context, and so the next one I have is just, it is I, Dumbledore. I saw that. <laughs> this Just, I saw that quote, and I was like, hmm, what is this? This is... When they show up at the burrow and Mrs. Weasley asks who it is, he just matter-of-factly says, it is I, Dumbledore. And then she lets him in. No security precautions or anything. Well, no, it's not Arthur. I just have a weird, fun Fleur quote of, Bill told me how Fred and George are very amusing. (laughs) Uh, It's just a very fun, straightforward... British way of putting... Well, I guess she's French. I also just 
The name-calling was unnecessary. That's all I have to say on this chapter. Yeah, they were quite rude to Fleur. Were they rude to her? I don't feel like they were rude to her. No, just behind her back. Yes. One of the things that stuck out to me in this chapter was Hermione, like, constantly, like, giving shifty eyes to Harry to see how he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the quotes. Yeah. One of the quotes was watching him to see if symptoms would start manifesting at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> no, I kind of get that. I, d- I feel like I do that with Abby. You know, if it's kind of a not so good day, I feel like I'm just constantly watching to make sure nothing will set her off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Today's a grunt and giggle type of day. Mm. <laughs> we forgot how to talk. Yeah. Draco's detour. So, it was really easy for Bill to get into Harry's vault without Harry having prior knowledge. Like, yeah. the first book made it seem like this was like, like you had to have your key and your password and your buddy who also had a key. I'm, I, I guess it really isn't. I, I might have ex- added things to that that didn't actually happen, which is kind of sad because it feels like it should have. He got into Harry's vault without the key, apparently. It it seems dangerous. I mean, no key, no passcode, no letter of approval from Harry, nothing. Bill was right. just like, no, that's my homie, and actually, not even my homie, my little brother's <laughs> homie. Right. And I'm going to save him some trouble, so give me all his gold. Although it was thoughtful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much of a commission did he take? Mm. Z. Mm. Z. Next thing I've got is when they enter Diagon Alley, it reminded me right of the beginning of the pandemic when everyone is like shopping in tiny groups and like shuffling around and trying to ignore everybody and like there's signs everywhere and just very similar. Yeah, I think that's a great parallel and then you had me going down a rabbit hole of what would wizards do during a pandemic like how would they shop would they wear masks or would they do bubble charms bubblehead charms oh bubblehead charms mm-hmm. mail order yeah. they mail order anything anyway they just write letters and it gets there within the day yeah they just have to do owl delivery Harry doesn't have his books and so they're just like you can use this one till you write to Flourish? Blots? Made sense in the book. <laughs> then I just have in all caps, lower your wands. Yeah, what? <laughs> so this is when they enter Madame Malcolm's and I they need to just stop entering the store because Draco is always there. And then they just raise their wands and won't put them down. We're going to duel you right here. And, and then Hagrid just like... Poor Hagrid. <laughs> he is top flight security of the world. Weirdness. He is, he is, um, very secure security. <laughs> the best. Then we meet the, um, pygmy puffs. And I just have the quote of, they're really cute. And then Fred says, they're fairly cuddly. Yes. He won't admit how cute they are. Or, my interpretation is that his definition of cute just is fairly cuddly. And and I'm not sure that that isn't just the definition of cute. It fits my criteria. 
Huh. Again with the notes that I don't have context for. I just wrote, why Ginny name call? Did she call her Flem again? I bet she called her Flem again. Probably. Ginny does definitely seem to be the antagonist in this. The ringleader. Yeah. Then everyone just assumes that Voldemort wouldn't take a 16-year-old. No one has any idea. They just assume that there is no way that Draco is working for Voldemort. It's kind of... It's kind of dumb on their part, honestly. Kind of. It. It's... Yeah. I mean, it's Bellatrix's nephew, Lucia's son. I mean, I don't think it's that far-fetched at all. No... I, I, I understand their hesitation of not wanting Harry to, like, pursue this, but I also don't understand why every single person says Voldemort would not take a 16-year-old. Like, that is their response to every time, and I'm like, that, that doesn't make sense to me. And then I have a Luna quote, I enjoyed the meetings too. It was like having friends. Then it says, This was one of those uncomfortable things Luna often said, and which made Harry feel a squirming mixture of pity and embarrassment. Sad. (laughs) And then again, the lunch cart consists of licorice wands. Why are they just feeding these kids candy for lunch? And Slughorn actually calls attention to that. He says, because he said, you know, he packed his own lunch. And as I remember it, the trolley is heavy on licorice licorice wands. Like, yeah, Yeah. no sandwiches? Because the trolley... The trolley always has candy. But in these last couple books, they've started calling it the lunch trolley. But it still just has candy. Now, okay, so... The Slug Club reminded me very much of when I was in elementary school. I would get pulled out of class for... I have no idea. It was like... I think it was just like all the kids that had IEPs were like pulled out in like some little side session thing. I don't even remember what they asked or what I, I... have no idea what it was. I just remembered it happened. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't know. It was, I don't know, there was like probably five or six of us that got pulled out on, I don't know, it feels like it should have been weekly, but it definitely wasn't. Maybe monthly. Maybe it was like quarterly or something. I don't, I, I really don't know. There was a lot of stuff that was done special for me that I completely ignored and didn't even bother trying because I didn't know what it was or why it mattered. And that's what you think Slug Club is? Yes, that's what I think of Slug Club. Okay. How would you like a trivia question? Ooh, yes. This is kind of an open-ended sounding question, but I'm looking for a very specific answer. How did Ginny end up in the Slug Club meeting on the Hogwarts Express? This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. Hello, Lavender. How did Ginny end up in the Slug Club meeting? She, Slughorn had caught her putting a bat bogey hex on somebody, and I can't remember who, but on somebody. Zachariah Smith, and that is more details than I was expecting, so good for you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Ha ha! Moving on to Snape Victorious, Snape's quote to Tonks is interesting. I was interested to see your new Patronus. I think you were better off with the old one. 
Why is Snape mean? Do you know what he means by that? Because I still, as a grown woman, don't really understand what he was trying to achieve with this comment. I th- he just mean. She's she's in a very depressed state, and and then her powers stopped working, and then her Patronus changed. And I think Snape is just being mean. Tonks never even did anything to him. Probably not. That we know of. Do we know? No, he's just mean to everyone. Yeah, he's just a miserable old bat. Trelawney came out of her room. Yep. (laughs) I love that that it's just kind of in the book. It's like, yeah, she she came out for some reason. Um, Good for her, I guess. (laughs) Now we won't see her again until the end of the year. No, we see her like... Wandering the halls, muttering to herself. Yeah. <laughs> Which never happened before, because she never left her room. Dumbledore dismissing his hand kind of irritates me throughout this book. Yeah. I mean, honestly, a lot of Dumbledore irritates me throughout this book. I feel like he could have told Harry what was up. Yeah. 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 He, that's kind of the whole purpose of this book, is he realized he should have told him all of this, like, three years ago. And now, you know, now he's got this cursed hand, it's gonna spread throughout, now he's gotta try to do it in a year, and he still just doesn't do it properly. And then when Dumbledore dismisses the feast, we get this wonderful quote, With the usual deafening scraping noise. The benches were moved back. This is just a description of the noise that happens when everyone leaves the cafeteria at once. Yep. It is deafening, scraping noise. It's very annoying. I have this twice. <laughs> okay, so the beginning of the next chapter. They, they're handing out schedules. They have to confirm classes that they can take based on their grades from the last year. After they've already made their schedules and after they've already bought their books, this would be so much easier with computers. Mm. And But this is also when we get that wonderful McGonagall moment with Neville. Yes. And she's and she's just like, you know, don't listen to your grandmother. I'll, I'll write her now and I'll have words with her just because she couldn't pass her charms exam. There's, there's a few moments throughout the series where you get the... the feeling that she does not like his grandmother very much. Not in a bad way, just... Yeah, they are just not good buddies. They're, 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 they're just kind of like minor rivals. Also, Snape is good at speeches, and he likes speeches, and he talks a lot, but his talking is good. He can hold attention. He can hold the attention for several pages. <laughs> yeah. And this is the chapter where we have the wonderful quote, There is no need to call me sir, professor. Gold. Deserving of detention, but gold. One of the most epic Harry Potter lines ever. Because that feels like something that I would randomly blurt out without thinking about. Detention on the first day. That sounds like me. (laughs) Alright, so this, this next one is Harry talking to Hermione about Snape. Did you hear him talk about the dark arts? He loves them. And Hermione says, I thought he sounded a bit like you. Burn. (laughs) Hermione didn't have to be that rude. But was she being rude or was she just being honest? I think she was being rude. (laughs) 
I have difficulty telling the difference. <laughs> to his annoyance, he saw that the previous owner had scribbled all over the pages. I, I just, yep. How dare you write in a book? Now, that isn't to say that my books aren't, um, the covers are in all in bad condition of every book that I have for the most part, but I would not write in them. It also irritates me when people highlight Bibles. I used to do that. <laughs> of course you did. Especially in a study Bible, yeah. No! You don't take notes in the Bible. You don't highlight it. It is a book, and a book is a sacred thing. If it is a textbook of any sort, I definitely highlight. Don't even care. <sighs> You're not going to read it again. You don't know that. Neither do you. <laughs> I also made a point that Hermione referred to the book instructions as the official instructions. Yeah. She gets all bent out of shape about the official instructions, too. <laughs> the official instructions are wrong. <laughs> I am sometimes that person who, um, the official instructions are wrong, and you have to understand the official instructions to understand why they're wrong so you can correct them. And it confuses me that other people don't have that same ability. Hmm. Okay. Then we get Trelawney wandering through the halls, muttering to herself and reading the cards. Yep. This is just at the start of the year, keep in mind. <laughs> like, nobody has even had time to drive her crazy yet. Also, she uh, reads the cards, don't like what they're saying, so she starts over. Yeah, I don't think that's how tarot cards are supposed to work. <laughs> they weren't even tarot cards, they were playing cards. Oh, that's right. That's right, I forgot about I didn't that. Even, I, I didn't even know that was a thing that people did, but apparently it is. Next quote I have. I make mistakes like the next man. In fact, being, forgive me, rather cleverer than most men, my mistakes tend to be correspondingly huger. Yeah, that quote doesn't make sense to me. It never has. I think it makes perfect sense, except for the grammar. He is better than most people. Therefore, when he makes mistakes, his mistakes are worse. It is a wise thing to know about yourself, but also requires bragging. So it's it's like a humble brag? Yeah. Is it, this is a Dumbledore humble brag. We need more of those, <laughs> but we don't get that many. <laughs> and the final quote I have of chapter 10 is... All three of the Gaunts seem to have forgotten Ogden, who was looking both bewildered and irritated at this new renewed outbreak of incomprehensible hissing and rasping. I sometimes wonder if that's what people think of me when I start talking about things I like. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter 10, so that's the end of part 1 of Half-Blood Prince. All right, so we're going to go into some news. We don't actually have a lot of news, but we're covering about, you know, last month and this month's news. So, I guess here's some updates on the Johnny Depp situation. Ugh. I kind of... Eh. Mads Mikkelsen's taking over. He's done some interviews talking about how it, how he's 
still working out how to bridge the gap between it being the same character and still being him and still being, you know, the tricky part. Someone asked him if he's actually contacted Johnny Depp and he's, no, he would if he had the ability to contact him, but he doesn't. So he's just going to have to do <laughs> what he can. And it's, yeah. <laughs> so still just hand said nothing. <laughs> yeah. Here's a, here's the Hollywood reporter did do some article on Johnny Depp's behavior. I don't know where this information came from. It seems like they're keeping their source quiet. But while filming Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man Tell No Tales, apparently Johnny Depp swallowed eight ecstasy pills and then began a campaign of terror aimed at Amber Heard. During which he cut off the tip of his finger, which resulted in production getting shut down for two weeks. And this was when Johnny Depp claimed that Amber Heard threw a bottle of alcohol at him and injured his finger. <sighs> Just more crap. <laughs> so he's not as innocent as people keep claiming he is. And that's all I have to say about that. Moving on. There was a Collider interview with Chris Columbus about how um, the first several weeks of working on Philosopher's Stone, he thought for sure that he was going to get fired for doing the wrong thing every step of the way. And then when the first movie tested very well, then he was overconfident on the second movie. Okay. <laughs> there was just a lot of, like, boring articles that I was like, okay, this is a thing that happened. Moving on. I guess we have to mention it. Yeah. Devin Murray, who played Seamus Finnegan, had a baby boy named Cooper Michael Murray. Is it Murray? I don't know. It's... Is it is it Irish? It's Irish. Tom Felton started some watch-alongs on Instagram where he is watching through the first movie in small increments. And from what I could tell, he had not gotten to the part that he's in yet. And he just kind of smiles and giggles and tears up the whole time. It's kind of enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I did see that. It was, it was nostalgic. Also, he wrote a theme. He does a lot of guitar improvisation things. Um, Jesse Cave, who played Lavender Brown in the last three films, who um, had a baby boy back in October. The baby was in the hospital from January 5th to January 7th, testing positive for COVID. Oh, no. 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 They are back home. So, and that seems like everything's good there. New Lego sets with the new year. There is... Hogwarts House Crests. This is part of an art set collection, which is basically there's a Lego frame and then you get a whole bunch of Lego studs that you then follow the pattern to make like a light bright style picture. So this is a 4,000 piece set for $120 that comes with the pieces to create all four of the house crests. But it only comes with enough frame pieces for one, so you can only put one together at a time. 
They're also making a botanical garden Lego set, which is unrelated to this, but equally as exciting. Okay. <laughs> you can make like a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then probably the neatest collection of Legos that they're releasing is a collection called Hogwarts Moments. And there are four of them. And there are 230 to 270 pieces for $30. And they are books that hinge open to reveal a scene. So there's four books in each of the colors. So there's a blue book that opens up to the Charms classroom and comes with Flitwick, Harry, and Cho. There's a yellow one that opens up to the greenhouse with Sprout, Neville, and Cedric. The green one opens to the Potions classroom with Snape, Draco, and Seamus. And the red one opens to the Transfiguration classroom with McGonagall, Hermione, and Ron. I want them all. And for a limited time, with a purchase of $75 before the end of January, you get a free Monster Book of Monsters, which is like a $20 value and I believe comes with Draco. It's like a pull back, like you, like it's a Lego figure of the book that you like pull back and then it chomps. No, no, I want it. <laughs> I was like, you, you can literally buy it for $20, but I'm also like, I should buy all four of those books so I get that for free, right? I think that that's my line of thinking too. It's a much better value. <laughs> so this next one, I kind of, <laughs> we have kind of a clickbaity article. It wasn't wrong, but it was a little misleading as to what this actually was. So there is a prize called the Russell Prize. It is not really like a BBC award. There were some articles saying that this was the BBC award that they were giving out. There is a media editor for the BBC who yearly does this award on his own. Mm, okay. So, so this award is for best writing, and his quote... And actually, I did not get this guy it's named after's name, but it celebrates journalism and writing that honors the intellectual and moral virtues of Russell's prose exemplified. Okay, so this is supposed to be to celebrate journalism that honors intellect and moral virtues. And he nominated Miss Rowling's essay on gender issues. Of course. <laughs> did not win. But, like, the whole argument is that he was not basing this on whether or not he agreed with the subject matter, but on the quality of the writing. But then why call it intellectual and moral virtues? That, that doesn't... And it's not intellectual. People keep claiming that she made good points when what she did was claim she was going to prove something and then follow it up with a bunch of unrelated facts. Anyway, I'm moving on. <laughs> it's an upsetting subject. And that's the end of my news. Well, this was a this was a good episode to start 2021 on. Yeah, li little of everything. Nice and... Not, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to join our conversation or send us owl mail, you can send us owl mail to spearcast at gmail.com or... 
If you would like to send us a howler, you can send us a recording to spewcast at gmail.com, or you can click the link in the description, or if you live in the U.S., you can call 407-706-SPEW. That's 407-706-7739. We are also on Twitter now, at Spectrum People, facebook.com slash spewcast. We're on Instagram, at uh, spewpod is our handle, and also on TikTok at SpewCast. And as always, we'd like to thank Joan Burr for our theme music. Mm-hmm. Until next time, I'm Quirinus. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood says, don't worry, you're just as sane as I am. Bye. Bye.